0: Hi, I'm Sam and I'd like to welcome Fito de la Para, a drummer for candy since since 1967, right? Yes. Yeah, so so you've been in the band for, for quite a bit. and, and welcome. welcome. How, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing okay, thank you. Uh, we're we're rehearsing next week, and actually, after 15 years, we're making a new studio album.
0: Oh, a new album! So that's
1: what we're working on. Yeah, a new album is coming out. As I said, after 15 years of
0: not going into the studio. So, can you tell me a little bit about this? Like, do you, it, or is it like a, a total secret?
1: No, no, it's not a total secret. We're happy to promote it and talk about it. Uh, we have a new lineup. There is doing very good. We've been playing a few gigs here in California and in the U.S., and we're selling out a lot of the places we're playing at. And we are also booked to go to Europe in June and back to Europe again at the end of July. So we are we're very active right now. And as I said, we, uh, we were very happy with the new lineup, as I was mentioning. And then the idea came to take advantage of this time of our lives to make another studio album. It may be the last one we make, we don't know. We're calling it the final vinyl.
0: Oh, wow. (laughs) That's and It's going to
1: be a vinyl, a vinyl, but also CDs. Probably we'll we'll release some CDs too. But it's mainly a a project to to be a vinyl, which is happening now. And you know, I've always liked vinyl. It, it sounds much better, and it looks wonderful. You can put art and the covers and history of the band, liner notes, etc. You know. Yeah. So, that's that's what we're working on and uh we're very happy with the new lineup and uh so far we're already we've done already eight songs and we're very happy with the, what's coming out so yeah get ready for in a few months we'll we'll, we'll see a new can and album
0: oh man that that's really cool I, i'm excited for that i i know i'm definitely like a fan of vinyl music um so I I I'm looking forward to like seeing another physical you know like physical album. Um, I think that's really great.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's good. We're very happy about it too, and we're you know working hard.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I I noticed in in canned heat, uh, one thing that you guys have done, um, throughout the years is a, a lot of your band members have had these nicknames, right? Like like <laughs> the bear, yes. Fido. Um, yeah, yeah. The owl. Yeah. Where did that come from? How did that How did that come that about? Was, that, that was
1: actually our managers ideas i my my nickname fito is actually Fito's short for Adolfo. That's my real name, Adolfo. Adolfo or Rodolfo in Latin America and Spain, they call us Fito. You know, it's mm-hmm. like Richard Dick, you know, yeah. William Bill, you know, it's like that. It's, it's mainly it's not like a nickname. It's mainly a short short for Adolfo is Adolfito. You know, they call us Fito. So that's actually not a nickname, but I already had it because, I, you know, I, since I grew up, since I was a kid, they called me Fito. Uh, then I guess the managers Wanted to find some kind of uh, something to attract more people and make the band popular and make it funny or I, I don't know. You will have to ask them actually, but the idea came to start putting uh, nicknames on the band members. Uh, you know, musicians and and in general, friends. We like to mess with nicknames uh, always, and amongst musicians, we use it a lot. Mm-hmm. So, all of a sudden, the big fat guy with the 300 pounds and the big beer that was the bear, because <laughs> he looked like a bear. And then the sunflower, if you see some pictures of him playing the guitar, the way he used to move and shake, and with his long hair and blonde, he looked like a sunflower. Uh, if you see my book, I have a book called Living the Blues. There are a hundred pictures in that book, and one of them is with with Henry looking like a sunflower. Oh, so wow. there it is. That, that that was his nickname, the sunflower, because of how he looked himself and how he positioned himself with the guitar. He oh. looks like a sunflower, you know. It's, it's amazing. And then Larry Taylor, I, I guess, became the mole. I, I don't know how they came <laughs> up with that one, but he does look like a mole a little bit. <laughs> so <laughs> I guess it was the way he played too. This is the way these characters play, Larry. He used to pull his teeth out, like uh, <laughs> move like that. So there it is, just like a mole. Oh, so there wow. was the mole. And then Alan, Alan could hardly see. He was, uh, he had, you know, was almost uh, legally blind. So we called him the blind owl, I guess because of the big glasses he used and he looked like an owl, you know, the big blind owl. So that's basically how the ideas of the nicknames came out. And uh, according to Skip Taylor, when he came to see the band first, to, you know, to manage them. He noticed how badly dressed they were and how funky and, and you know, they were they were a blues band. They didn't really care about popularity and stuff like that. So I, I guess Skip said, well, you know, these guys sound great and they have a, a good thing with a big fat guy in the front and all that, but you know, they look awful. So we're gonna have to try to get some nicknames or something to make them look more attractive to, wow. the, to the people. I guess that was the idea uh, about about the band, you know.
0: Oh no! I yeah, I never realized that the the idea of these nicknames was really just you know to to try to pull attention a little bit. Like I I was watching you know videos of, of canned heat playing live and stuff, and I was like, oh, th- who are the people? And I looked it up, and I'm like, oh, the bear, the the blind owl. Like there's got to be a story behind this. That's that's actually that's so cool that that you got like a total. Yeah. Yeah, a total yeah. thing behind it.
1: So now you have it there. So that's that's the story of the nicknames. I'm glad you asked about it. Yeah.
0: So you haven't been uh, continuing this with, with some of your uh, your new members?
1: Well, you know, we had other, other musicians that also mm-hmm. have nicknames. And, and some of them, we put nicknames to them. And uh, we had Hollywood Fats, <laughs> who was a great guitar player. Uh, you know, unfortunately, he's passed away already. And he was actually too young to die. Mm. But uh, that was Hollywood Fats, who already had the nickname, you know, and uh, gosh, I'm, I'm thinking about other guys. I think the nicknames were basically from the classic lineup. Yeah, yeah. We, we probably have a few nicknames from new guys that have come in and out mm-hmm. later on. But so the main nicknames were those, you know, the sunflower, the blind owl,
0: uh, yeah, and the bear. Of course. That, that's so cool, though, that you guys had like a total, a total thing. Like that is that is canned heat. You're you're named after. Well, you're you have these nicknames. I I just think that's that's really great.
1: Well, that's great. I'll tell my manager what you said. He'll probably <laughs> feel good about
0: it. Yay! <laughs> well, I I know you guys played a lot live, including at the the very famous Woodstock festival. And I was just wondering, was that known? Like, was that as great as it's known to be or was that just another like live gig
1: no absolutely absolutely it was not just a live gig it was a cultural event it was a statement of our generation of what we wanted done we wanted peace we wanted equality we wanted equality for women for minorities a lot of the struggle that is going on right now again but we were i guess we were in another state of mind then and uh We were young, we were together and we wanted to, one of the main things, we wanted to stop the war in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. So that was the whole thing about peace and love. Peace and love was the message. Uh, Woodstock was not just a gig,
0: it was the gig. Yeah, well, what was your experience like at Woodstock?
1: Oh, well, in the beginning, I didn't wanna go. Uh, We were going through some changes. Our guitar player, Henry, had just quit the week before. Oh, wow. And we had, we had just hired Harvey Mandel to, you know, right there on the stage. Yeah. We, we actually hired him, inviting him to sit in because Henry wasn't there. We were playing at the Fillmore West the week before Woodstock. And then we were playing at the Fillmore East, just a few days, uh, uh, two two days before Woodstock. So uh, we were not doing very good at the time and uh, because we just lost our lead guitar player, Harvey was an excellent player and he knew our music, so there was no problem changing, but still, you know, the vibe was not the same and we were hurting in a way. And, uh, and I didn't know what Woodstock was. I, you know, I was a recently arrived immigrant from Mexico and uh, and I was just very happy to be in this band, you know, playing blues music and becoming quite popular. My manager came to my room in the hotel and physically dragged me out of bed and convinced me, you know, he comes and wakes me up and goes, turn the radio on, turn the TV on. Look, look what's going on. There is half a million people over there. This is going to be the biggest gig you've ever played. And I'm just basically saying, what the hell? I don't even know what Woodstock is. What, what is this, you know? So finally, he convinced me to go and I, you know, put my T-shirt on, grab my little bag with my drumsticks, a couple of joints and a towel, you know, and and and, and we head on to White Kills, New York, where the airport was. And, you know, the rest is history. You know, we got the helicopter and the whole the whole thing happened.
0: Oh, you got helicoptered in?
1: We were waiting in White Kills, New York. It's a small little town close to Woodstock, and it had an airport. We are all tired. We're all beat up and stuff, and we're not feeling very good. I'm laying down in the tarmac, you know, just waiting to see something happening. So this airport, this uh, helicopter shows up, and these two kids, two journalists, uh, young journalists, jo- uh, run towards the airport. So we go running after them. <laughs> And I remember they, they went into the helicopter and then the bear goes to one of them and says, where do you think you are going? And, you know, the kid, I say the kid, he was probably young, like cause in his 20s, you know. And uh, he goes, well, we're going to report the news. So Bob grabs him and pulls him out of the helicopter and tells him, no, you're not. We are going to make the news. So we jump on the helicopter and we pretty much hijack the helicopter from the press.
0: Oh, wow. We were.
1: We were, they were two, we were five, we were a bunch. We, we were five dangerous hippies. They didn't want to mess with us. We were the canned heat. We were going to go play the boogie for Woodstock and all <laughs> the audience. They knew they had no way that they were going to, uh, you know, commandeer that helicopter. So they let us go, they stay on the tarmac. They probably picked up another helicopter later and we took the helicopter and arrived at Woodstock ready to play that afternoon.
0: Wow. Well, that, that, must have, that must have been absolutely terrifying, right? Going in and playing for 500,000 people. Like, I'm, I'm guessing at, at the Fillmore, it wasn't quite that many that, that you played to.
1: Well, every gig has its own personality and its own thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, terrifying is not a word I would use. We are professional musicians. We were all being on the stage for many years already, I started playing professionally since I was thirteen years old. Same thing with Larry Taylor and the other guys on the band. Uh, so terrifying! No, actually, we were very happy to be there, and you know, three of the guys were high on acid. Uh, my uh, my manager actually signed the agreement for the film, loaded on acid on the stage as no we way. were playing. So you know, I mean, those were the times, you know, when yeah. they sign a contract a contract as the band is playing on the stage high on acid signing the, the film contracts and stuff so you know that was uh, that was some of the stuff that was going on in woodstock
0: wow that's hilarious <laughs> well was that was that your favorite live thing you've done or have you done like o- other live live shows that that you've liked more
1: you know there is no favorites mm-hmm. when you played you're playing for close to 60 years what 57 years or so I uh, There is really no favorite. As I said, sometimes we have more fun playing in a club with 10 drunks than playing in a big festival with 10,000 people. You know, you, you never you never know when you're going to really lock it and be able to really play good, but it happens. And in Woodstock, well, that was one of the times. There was a lot of energy there, a lot of energy from the audience, and we gave back the same kind of energy too. You can see us live at the, in the film, you know, like yeah. we're playing hard we're playing hard with everything we can also because if you remember i mean you have to remember the the pa systems was not not quite as powerful in those times and uh and they didn't have as many monitors and, and it, technology was not as complicated as it is now and uh so we have to sort of make up for it but of course the sound was actually pretty good considering you're talking 1969 you know they put they didn't have a separate monitors for everybody but they put two side monitors on the stage that was an excellent idea so we could hear what we were doing besides you know what was going out to the audience uh it was a wonderful thing i mean the way they put it together the way it developed and the way it happened so so magically in a way you know where do you see a, a 500,000 people Helping each other, loving each other, taking care of each other. You know, are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Let me give you something. Are you freaking out from from a bad trip or something? Yeah, there is a place there where they'll, they'll talk to you. They'll they'll help you. Everywhere, everywhere there was there was friendliness in the middle of the chaos. You see, it was chaos. It was chaotic. Mm-hmm. Of course, the promoters didn't expect five hundred thousand people. They expected maybe a hundred thousand at the maximum. You know, it got to the point where the fence went down and they just let everybody in for free. Yeah. And that would never happen again. No with this era that we live in so metalized and so capitalistic mm-hmm. in a way you know yeah yeah that would happen then i mean you have to remember too that there was another several other woodstocks uh, almost every 10 years there's been a recreation sort of the woodstock festival but none of them have been like the original they mm-hmm. try to make it again and they just mess it up i mean that woodstock 99
0: i don't know if you've seen the the film
1: yeah yeah they that call was it the great wreck did you see it
0: yeah with all the like there were fires it was it was so
1: i I was so disappointed and so i felt so sorry about the kids there you know Mm -hmm. kids your age and a little bit older whatever they went to woodstock 99 trying to recreate the feeling of the original woodstock and everything went wrong because to start with they dumped him in a army base with all this concrete, there was no grass, no greenery, no nothing. I mean, to start with the the location of the place was totally wrong. Then they started charging $9, $8 for a bottle of water. They have incredible uptight security. I mean, everything that they did made the audience pissed off. And that's why they burned the place down.
0: Mm -hmm. So you you don't ever think that Woodstock, like the original 1969, do you think that could ever be, you know, almost redone?
1: Absolutely not. And the ones that have tried, they have tried for money reasons. They want to make more money and, and, and sort of... Exploit the name mm-hmm. of Woodstock and try to do that. Some others have actually done their Woodstock festivals just to just to celebrate Woodstock, and that is nice. In Europe, they celebrate Woodstock a lot, and uh, and uh, you know every year or so when it comes to the dates of Woodstock, there is always some Woodstock copy festivals. Mm-hmm. But as I said, the the example of the Woodstock '99 and some of the others, you know, they were not. You cannot repeat stuff like that. As I said, it was a statement of a generation. It was not just a gig.
0: Yeah, it, it seemed like you know, it, it seemed like such such an amazing time. I know I watched like a few of your your live like like some songs you you did live at Woodstock, and I I noticed there was this one time where some guy was like up on stage, and and yeah yeah, and and Bob was like hugging him I mean, and stuff. Then
1: again, then again, that could never happen now times. Imagine if a kid jumps on the stage and grabs Bob. I, the security will be all over him. They will beat the shit out of him, you know? That's what they do now. I mean, it's just over there. I mean, I, the guy came up, and, and I think he had a, a vest or something that he picked up in Texas to return to Bob. Oh. So he jumps on. And uh, and uh, there is a part on the stage where one of our roadies comes to try to kick him out, right? And Bob tells the roadie, no, 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 let him be. So the, so the guy goes and holds Bob. Bob pulls a cigarette out of his pocket, and they both share a cigarette right there on the stage. You see, that, that shows you how the vibe was in Woodstock. I mean, there was no aggression, you mm-hmm. know? If a kid happened to jump on the stage and and hug the bear and all that, the bear hugged him back instead of kicking him off the stage, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, what were you... What were your thoughts when that happened? Were you like, whoa, whoa, someone's on the stage? Or was it like, oh, this is cool? I,
1: I, thought, I thought they were going to kick him out of the stage because, I mean, that's the normal thing to do. When somebody mm-hmm. drops on the stage and we're in the middle of, of playing, you know, we have to kick them out. They're not very aggressive, but we usually just hold them. And, you know, they are usually high. They are usually just having a great time and they want to communicate with us or hold us or say hello to us or... You cannot be aggressive with them. I mean, I don't know about other bands, but with the Kane Heat, we are, you know, we, we cannot kick people out of the stage just like that. You know, we usually hold them and hey, come on, girls. They like to jump up there sometimes and they start dancing. You know, we stimulate that. We, we say, hey, go ahead and dance. You know, what the hell? Bring your girlfriends. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So canned heat is just about having a good time for the for the people that watch it.
1: That's right. That's that's what it's all about. I mean, music is about pleasure.
0: Mm-hmm. That that's really nice that you guys you guys just like play play for the enjoyment of of all the the people. Like I know. Sometimes um, we, we talked about this a little bit, like with with all the, the money impacts that maybe music gets less personal and more about, you know, money, money, money. But it sounds like Canned Heat is like genuinely trying to make sure everyone has a great time, which I, I think is really cool.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. One of the things I always say is the music is for free. Mm-hmm. We charge to get there oh because we you know that, that time that we play you know the, the hour and a half two hours show that we play we're having a great time then we're not charging for that we're charging for all the inconvenience of traveling the airplanes the airports the hotels the lines of people that you know dealing with all that the the stress on the body and all that is so hard to travel and do like two weeks or three weeks of one-nighters. It requires a certain special strength to do it. Many people say, oh, how glamorous and how nice to be running around all over the world. It is not that, it's very, very hard and very difficult. And you get sick and then you have to perform while you are sick. I mean, all kinds of things happen when you are on the road. And that's why I always say, the music is free. What we charge for is to get there.
0: Yeah, that, that's really interesting. I guess like it definitely makes sense um, that, you know, the the traveling just that's got to be so tiring. Like, yes, it, I mean, it might be fun, right? If you if you're with your band, you, you I don't know, play cards or something.
1: Of course, sometimes it's fun. You know, when we were younger, it was more fun.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Also traveling in general was more fun then. Remember many things have happened in this new era, you know, since 9/11 and then the terrorists and then the covid. I mean all this has has made traveling a lot more difficult too. The attitude of the airliners all that is is very different than then. And we were a lot younger. I mean it's not the same to be 70 plus years old and be dealing with all that, you know, than being 30 years old, you know. Yeah, hey, you but could still, you could hijack uh, yeah, we do helicopters and stuff. <laughs>
0: <like> that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, yeah, that that's crazy. Well, I I know something that that happened um, to Kent Heat early in the the seventies is you lost Alan Wilson at the age of twenty seven, which I know is like a weird like musical number. So what what are your thoughts on like the twenty ter- seven?
1: It's a terrible number. It's a terrible number because uh, Janis Joplin died at twenty seven. Gene Morrison died at 27, Jim, Jimi Hendrix died at 27, Alan Wilson. Uh, There is even a book called 27, which talks about all this dead, very talented people. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know, you know, I've never been a fan of suicide or self destruction and uh, I just don't know where they were at. All these people that killed themselves that young, they, they robbed themselves from a life and they robbed all of us from all that talent they could have given us. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it's the most stupidest thing in the world to destroy yourself when you are that young yeah things change i i don't know how bad they felt at the time or how whatever their mind was telling them but uh things change things never stay the same mm-hmm. if you're miserable one day you know the next day may be okay you know i don't know what happened I, it's, it's very hard in, in the case of alan for example is the one i know the best uh, he was a very depressed individual he was probably clinically depressed and uh and, you know i guess it, it was just uh nobody could deal with it somehow and with in the case of jim morrison too and all those other guys but as i said i think they made a mistake (laughs) by dying so young yeah and as i said they 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 left without giving all that that they could have given
0: it it's definitely like it's it's really sad when you look at like you know as as time has gone on like kurt cobain amy winehouse like even recently like it's it wasn't just the 60s yeah. but it's it's just really yeah. interesting how 27 i
1: guess like, cobain, was, cobain was 27 years old also
0: right? yeah he was there there are tons it's crazy robert johnson
1: what, what is this about 27 years old i mean what the hell I,
0: I had a great time when I was 27 years
1: old, <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, we were playing, we were playing music. I was playing with a, a great blues band. I, I had no reason to kill myself. I yeah. don't have a reason to kill myself now. And I've gone through a lot of shit <laughs> in my life.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's, it's really interesting, I guess, how, how the, the musician lifestyle has uh, you know, it, it could be so overwhelming and challenging.
1: It is. It is. You, as I said earlier, you have to have a certain kind of strength to deal with the music business.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The music business is wonderful, but it can be cruel too. And that's where you have to be strong, dealing with all the stuff that can happen, all the adversity, the loneliness, the uh, it, it, all kinds of different feelings that happen as as you go on through a career of fifty years or so.
0: Yeah. It it sounds like you know both a, a thrilling and like kind of you know, hard life i mean it although i i must say it, it does sound like a lot of fun at times like like with your your live oh, play. Yeah, 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 hey,
1: it's got to be it is a lot of fun sometimes and even at our age right now we still party and have a great time sometimes <laughs> in general you, you have to be strong as i said mm-hmm. to deal with the traveling the we see the canned heat is is a very tragic band okay this is not your typical teeny bopper band that became very famous and, and had all these wonderful things happen we 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 had debts, we had lack of recognition, we had uh, financial problems, we lost all our royalties very early in the band's career. Uh, The band got busted for marijuana in in Denver before I joined. And uh, in those times, it was a terrible thing to Mm -hmm. be busted for marijuana and that, that in a way affected us. We lost our publishing because of that. Really, Our manager was desperate to get the boys out of jail, so he ran to see Al Bennett, the president of Liberty Records, to get $10,000 to get them out, to to pay for the bond, you know, to get them out. And Al Bennett said, okay, I'll buy your publishing for $10,000. And he had to sell it. Wow. Two months, three months later, Al Bennett made a million dollars out of that publishing with On the Road Again, our first hit. And then going up the country and then all those other songs. Mm -hmm. And we lost all our publishing for, you know, for being busted. And the guys got busted. They didn't even have any weed. They were planted.
0: Really? How did that That's the happen? one time
1: where they didn't bring, they didn't bring any with because they knew how uptight Denver was. Denver had this sheriff called John Gray who used to call himself the Wild Herb of the West. Hmm. And he promised the, the city of Denver that, he, that, he, that no one long-haired person will be there ever. Wow. I mean, the guy was a total fascist. Just, just like the fascists that are around now. Totally against hippies, against long hairs, against music, against anything good. And uh, so they got this uh stool pigeon this uh informer to go visit bob height he knew him and he planted the weed under a chair in the hotel room wow later the cops break in already knowing there is weed there and they bust the whole band i wasn't there i joined the band right after the bust oh but i also lost. i also lost my royalties even if i wasn't on the bust
0: oh really huh so
1: i had to yeah when i when i joined the band i had to sign uh, an agreement that even if i was not on the bust, i was willing to give up my share of the royalty
0: did did the band getting busted like did that at all affect you wanting to join the band or not uh
1: the bust didn't have anything to do with me wanting to join the band but i uh did it like i wasn't at the time i mean i i I hadn't gotten high ever you know i was just an innocent kid then uh the bear is the one that turned me on for the first time Yeah, that... uh, yeah. Yeah. No, no, it didn't have anything to do. Uh, actually, they made the decision to replace the, their drummer while they were in jail.
0: No way. I don't
1: know what happened when they were in jail, but I know they were having some problems already with him. He mm. was mainly a jazz drummer, jazz oriented guy. He he was not that much into the blues that these guys were playing. That one thing. And then he was also arguing a lot with the manager. They were talking about money and all that. So that time they decided to get rid of him and replace him. When they were in jail
0: and then then and you came in.
1: in i came in i came in a, about a month after that
0: and hey it seems like it worked out for you i see the the silver and gold records on your wall
1: okay, and it has been a working band regardless of all the stuff and all the tragedies we have suffered we have continued to play and continue to work the The band always existed i kept the band together always
0: that's amazing
1: and so that's why that's why we have done so much i mean we played yeah, you know, we played just about everywhere. We've played Japan, Singapore, Canada, of course, Canada. You know, Mexico, mm-hmm. Europe. You know, uh, a lot of places.
0: Yeah, well, that that's amazing. And I'll I'll make sure to to get your record. Thank you so much for talking to me, Fido. This has just been so interesting. Getting you know, getting to hear about Woodstock, canned heat. You're you're playing. It's just it's a dream for me to get to to get to like pretend to understand how amazing these events were and thank you so much for for telling me about them
1: thanks for your interest too